Where is InsureTech headed next? This is where indie agents own the answer. Welcome to the Vertifor Insurance Podcast. Let's go. Guys, welcome to another episode of season two of the Vertifor Insurance Podcast. I'm so excited to have a very, very special guest, somebody that I actually uh, look up to, have stalked slash followed over the past few years. Um, He's had quite a journey in the insurance industry, and I'm excited to dig into how he ended up here what he's doing and what's to come. So without further ado, Andrew Wynn, welcome to the podcast. Hey Seth, thanks so much for having me and and definitely flattering me on a Monday morning, so thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, Like I said before, definitely not flattering, just just being honest here. Um, (laughs) So let me give you guys who are listening a, a quick backstory on Andrew and I think you'll find that there's a lot we have to dig into. Um, Andrew's a, Andrew's an, he's had an interesting journey. He started um, actually before he got into tech um, by volunteering with the Peace Corps. Um, he worked in Senegal. I, I probably pronounced that wrong, so I apologize. You can correct me here in a minute or two um, on economic development projects, which, you know, I, I always think it's interesting when people, um, you know, step out of their, I guess, their their professional, you know, arc to do things like that. So I'm curious to understand the reasoning behind it and, and maybe some of the things you took away. After the Peace Corps, he jumped into, really jumped into startup world with uh, being an early employee at Instacart. He joined in 2014 and, and managed all of the product catalog and, and pricing teams. He's got some really cool stories to share around that. He then worked at Looker, which was acquired by Google for $2.7 billion in 2019 uh, and was responsible for consumer product. Uh, I'm very curious to understand that transition. Uh, You know, when an acquisition happens, especially by a company as big as Google, there's a lot to learn uh, about things, about how the company changes and, and, um, and, and sort of moves afterwards. And then after Looker, he co-founded Shelter, which was ultimately acquired by by Hippo. And that was really, I believe, his first venture on his own. Um, and that came to a close in 2019 before he jumped into his current project, Ascend. So uh, a couple other things you should probably know about Andrew. Um, he lives in Connecticut. He, uh, he actually enjoys open water swimming. And I, I will say this, when I... <laughs> When I, uh, so on his, his website, he talks a little bit about open water swimming and, and, you know, why he loves it, but mentions that he specifically loves to swim the width of Lake Tahoe. And I had to Google that last night. Uh, (laughs) the width of Lake Tahoe is 12 miles wide. (laughs) So (laughs) this is not a situation where, let me give this context. I did an Ironman last year, and the most I swam was 2.4 miles. So 12 miles is a beast. Um, he's also fluent in French and Wolof, which is kind of kind of curious. Wonder why wonder why Wolof. Um, 
but you know, ultimately, Andrew, I'm, I'm really excited to have you on because, you know, I think there's, there's certainly an entrepreneurial spirit in the independent insurance agency channel. And I think many independent insurance agencies, you know, look at your experiences and history and trajectory and think, I mean, they're excited for you, but I think they might be a little jealous uh, as far as just, you know, listening to all the opportunities you've had and sort of how you've made it to where you are today. So I'm really curious to dig into, uh, you know, understanding more of that and, and also how much of it you controlled as opposed to was luck. I think that's always the big question with opportunity is how much of it do we have a, a grasp on and how much of it is presented to us and you know we have to walk through that door. So um, mm -hmm. I'm gonna back up, why, why the Peace Corps? Let, let's start there. That, that's an interesting, <laughs> that's an interesting move. Like you seem like a, um, you know, you seem like a, a guy who, who loves business, loves technology, loves that startup grind. Why would you take this time to go out and help people in a completely different country and not make any money? I mean, what was the move there? Totally, yeah, it's a great question. And thanks for that, that nice introduction. Um, Peace Corps was a really, really formative experience in my you know, early, early career, really my first career experience. Um, but you're right, I do love business, I do love startups, I do love you know, solving problems, but I also love working with people and um, and real people and not sort of hiding behind an email or a phone. And Peace Corps was a great opportunity to do that. And, you know, in, in developing countries, all business is done in person, right? On relationship. Um, it's not done through network or, you know, big companies or brand or resume or anything. It's done by who, who you are and who you know and, you know, how you think about each other. And so Peace Corps was a really good opportunity to sort of Two things. One um, that I wanted to do, which is just go out and connect with different kinds of people. Uh, and two, what I really took away from it was that learning of just how, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, it, it, it comes back down to like helping people solve their problems. And it doesn't matter what their problems are. Um, they can be very different, right? Like in Senegal, they're not the same as we have here in the independent insurance world. But ultimately, all people care about are, are solving the problems with people they care about. Um, and Peace Corps to me was the most sort of bare bones version of that. Mm, that's really intriguing. That, um, when I hear you say that, I, it, to me, what I hear is you are, I think a lot of people like to consider themselves entrepreneurs, but there's a special mix that you find in a real entrepreneur, capital R, capital E, where they just, love the journey itself if it's if there's ups great if there's downs great it's not about the highs or the lows or the money or the outcome it's about recognizing a problem and being able to solve it uh and and it sounds totally. like that's I, I love that you know your ability to see that in yourself and and without any sort of materialistic you know any anything else it was just i want to get into to that core of who i am in in the peace Corps. yeah exactly and i think um i mean th that makes me makes me sound maybe a little bit more noble than i am i'm definitely you know a capitalist as well but, but um i think you know ultimately if you can help people you know that's that's really what matters at the end of the day mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So then when you came back to the States, you decided to jump into Instacart. What, uh, how did you land that opportunity? Especially as an early employee. Yeah, I actually, I actually, um, for a hot second worked when I first came back from Peace Corps, I worked at Levi, Levi Strauss and company headquarters, which is in San Francisco. And, um, I got that job just by sort of going online, applying and whatnot. And I realized pretty quickly there that like, it was so different, you know, big corporate America. I was an entry level employee and I realized like not even the CEO could change how like jeans are made, right? Like you couldn't change the way a button is sewed on, right? It's so sort of ingrained and, and um, it's really just an exercise of incremental changes rather than how can we really, you know, be creative here. And so I actually looked at Levi's for a while, realized like if that person who's in charge of the company can't actually change anything, like what am I gonna do here? Um, and so it was with that that I went into the startup world um, for an opportunity, you know, to just sort of, again, be curious, um, learn from people, try to make something new. Um, it's really sort of just for, you know, what I find fun. Um, and so I ended up at Instacart. Um, my roommate at the time worked at Instacart and, you know, the company was growing and I didn't really know anything about it. It sounded kind of silly to me, you know, it was a bunch of people sitting around a house in San Francisco, um, you know, writing code and trying to get groceries delivered, which I was like, well, who needs that? Um, and, um, uh, today, anyway, every, but I was like, to, well, this seems at least more fun. Yeah. Today, every, every middle-aged mom is like, Andrew, it was the most genius idea. <laughs> yeah. And the last couple of years of, you know, in COVID in 2020, you know, Instagram yeah. really made its way into a lot of, a lot of households, but, mm -hmm. uh, it was there and we were just sort of, you know, I was like, well, this at least seems fun. So I'll give it a shot. And watching that business really grow, rapidly and just seeing how it was landing with people and you know the way people were using it and as a result all of the things that we hadn't thought about and needed to figure out was just so time consuming and fun but just you know creative and rewarding and so that was kind of my first um taste of startup life um and it was just you know, i'm so grateful for that that early experience yeah so what is it all early early on right i think we have this picture in our head of like the Silicon Valley TV show, maybe, or, um, you know, maybe, maybe Steve Jobs in his um, garage, like, what is it like early on at the company? Is it all rainbows and unicorns? Is it, tell me a little bit about what it felt like to be in that moment. Oh, yeah. Um, it's definitely not all rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> um, a lot of the same kind of like, you know, physical location is funny. Like I said, we were just literally in a house and as we were growing, um, somebody ended up actually having to move their desk into a walk-in shower because we were out of room. So that person was victim of many, many pranks, uh, as you can imagine. Um, so some of that stuff is really fun, but from a work perspective and what we were trying to do, you know, we were faced with new problems that we couldn't predict every single day. And so, you know, an example that, you know, you touched on a little bit, some of, the, one of, some of the things I worked on were making sure that the items displayed on the Instacart website were actually accurate with what was in store. Uh, and that's still not a fully solved problem, uh, as I'm sure anyone who's used Instacart and gotten a replacement or a refund knows, uh, but it used to be really, really bad. And um, also the biggest problem we had in the early days was not just knowing what's in stock, but 
we had never actually sold, you know, many of those items had never been sold online ever before, right? So like, sure, Oreos had been sold online and there was a product picture and all that stuff, but, you know, King Super's chicken salad had never been sold online. But when you're getting groceries, you need to get your entire cart, right? Like if you can get 95% of what you want, but you can't get the last thing, it doesn't actually matter because you still have to go to the grocery store. So we, we knew it was really, really, and we learned that, right? We're like, well, it's good enough. You know, they can get everything except for milk. And it's like, well, if I can't get milk, I'm, I'm in trouble anyway. So this doesn't help me. Um, and so uh, we had to figure out, well, how do we get every single item in a grocery store, but on Instacart, not just the obvious stuff. And we tried everything, you know, we, we thought about stuff. And ultimately, um, this was very early on in Instacart's life. Uh, we just went to Trader Joe's and bought one of everything as an example. And we took pictures of it in our house <laughs> and put it online. Um, and that's, you know, so that is how the sausage gets made in some of those early startup things. So did Trader Joe's like pay you any commission or, you know, I mean, was there a check in the mail or anything like that? No, actually Trader Joe's is, a, is still not on Instacart. Uh, oh. Trader Joe's um, gave Instacart a cease and desist after that. So another, <laughs> another uh, sort of not so fun thing of early startup life. Um, but we ended up partnering with, you know, hundreds, not thousands of retailers across the country. But I remember when we signed uh, our first actual partnership before Instacart would just go into stores as sort of a, you know, two-party service of, hey, you know, grocery shopper, we'll get you, I mean, you know, person buying groceries online, we'll get you your groceries. Uh, and we realized, wait, we can actually partner with these grocery stores to help them reach their existing customers and provide their existing customers with a better customer experience because most people I know I do have, you know, affinities to certain stores. And so Instacart sort of pivoted from being a consumer product, right, that we use sort of B2C to actually sort of being more of a B2B product and Instacart's entire business development function uh, grew around selling into grocery stores to say, hey, powering online delivery is something that your customers want and will need. Let us help you do that. And so that that was a huge shift in the business uh, and a really interesting thing to see. Mm, interesting. You mentioned that when you were at Levi Strauss, it was an exercise in, in incremental growth as opposed to this implosion of creativity that was necessary in you know startup world, or I guess maybe what you thought would would be, um, mm -hmm. when you actually lived the Instacart journey, did what you think it would be actually come true? And how did you stay, you know, I want to say mentally strong during those moments where you felt like things weren't coming together, the problems weren't being solved like you thought that they would. You were getting cease and desist letters. How do you keep moving forward in those moments? Yeah, I mean, that sort of comes back to the people part again, right? Like you have to really, um, you have to one, be having fun with the people you're spending time with and trust them, right? And know that you're in it together. That's super critical in anything. I think it's almost like a team, I mean, it is a team. Um, and so if, you know, other folks don't feel that, then it's really hard to keep going. Uh, and the best way, in my opinion, for folks to feel that is, uh, by listening to your customers, right? And so at Instacart, we had lots and lots of customers who were really happy with what we were doing for whatever reason. You know, some it might just be, hey, I'm a busy mom and this is convenient. Other people might be like, hey, I'm, you know, 
disabled and I can't get to the store that I need to go to and you guys, you know, allow me to get food from this grocery store that I grew up eating, right, or something like that. Um, and those things were really, really powerful to hear. Mm-hmm. And you have to just sort of remember that. And I think as, you know, as an entrepreneur, one of the things that I think, um, at least I'm personally really bad at is uh, being objective and hearing those things. I think we always sort of beat ourselves up and it's kind of, you know, a little bit of like imposter syndrome. And so like, you know, Ascend has recently, I was looking, we have like in the past couple months or so, couple months, 200 NPS responses and a score of 90. And I'm like, well, that's probably fake, right? Like they must, there must, we must be like pulling the wool over their eyes somehow, you know? And, um, and it can't be real. And so, but actually trying to like internalize and feel and, and hear those things for what they are objectively, I think is a true superpower that keeps mm-hmm. you going um, while still help having a healthy level of um, skepticism, right? Because or else you'll, you'll, you'll stop too early. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I do think that um, I certainly haven't had the path of entrepreneurialism that you've had, but my time with a company where I was employee number one, I found that there is a there is a level of um, there's a, there's a psychological game you have to play with yourself when you're in those moments, and it's exhilarating and frustrating, but you feel so alive. And I think um, if man, if there's anything in life we're looking for, I, I would think that it's that feeling of just being alive, even when it's the most frustrating. Um, so okay. Yeah. You, you went from Instacart and, and jumped into uh, Looker, which was a, which ended up being, it sounds like mm-hmm. a good move because of the acquisition, or maybe not. Tell me a little bit about that transition and what you learned at Looker. Yeah, I mean, it's six of one, half dozen of another, right? It was a good move, I guess, financially in some ways, but at the same time, that company was a little bit bigger and then um, uh, a later stage product. So I didn't have as much fun doing it. And I learned that, but uh, I actually came to Looker because I was a customer of Looker and such a champion of it and saw what it could do firsthand, not just sort of objectively um, and, or, you know, from the outside. And so um, went to Looker to sort of help, help in my way, you know, sort of put some uh, the improvements I wanted to see or changes I wanted to see on, on the product. Um, and I was there for a year and uh, had a really, really good time, learned a lot about, you know, sort of B2B software solutions mm-hmm. and, and SaaS, mm-hmm. um, which I'm super grateful for now. Uh, at the time, though, it wasn't, you know, the the most fun I'd ever have, but I learned a ton. And so for that, I'm also really grateful. Mm. Okay, so go, going to, and it's been, it's interesting kind of tracking the different experiences, right? Because you had that corporate experience, decided, okay, I don't want that when it's a hyper-creative mode at the very beginning of a startup with Instacart, a little bit of a later stage product, but still, I would say, a startup environment that ultimately got acquired. Mm, so that yeah, yeah. that kind of, do you think that helped you understand what an, an exit looked like for a startup and, and helped you understand what to look for and how to handle it? Or were you too far, from, too far removed from that decision-making process? Yeah, I was very, I mean, I wasn't at all involved in the, the sale decision making process, but what it did definitely teach me in, in, in hindsight is sort of like what, what a terminal state for a startup might look like, right, as an independent entity, whether that's a company that's going, you know, these other companies were not at all ready to be uh, 
on to the next stage, right, mm-hmm. um, of, of where they were. Um, you know, Instacart, for example, like at that, the time I was there was a very immature company in lots of ways, even though it was a bigger company than Looker. Um, by the time I left, sort of from a market and revenue standpoint, um, but Looker was a really good example of what a sort of well-functioning startup can grow into um, and what sort of startup maturity looks like, which is almost like saying like, it's probably the equivalent of like adolescence for humans, right? Like we've gotten to some point, but there's still a lot of growth and, and maturity with life to continue. Um, so that was a good, uh, good example of seeing that. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so at this point you say to yourself, I'm going to do my own thing, which is a huge move. Uh, you also decided insurance. What was the thought process behind both of those decisions? Yeah. Um, well, the do the own thing one is a lot easier, which is like, I wanted to, you know, get back to this, this really, as you, you know, touched on creative, fun, early stage, problem oriented solution, you know, seeking solutions for people who, you know, I knew about and cared about and had sort of a connection with. Um, and Looker wasn't that anymore. Um, and so that was an easy, I thought the best, the highest likelihood of finding that was actually starting my own thing. Um, and I didn't look around too hard elsewhere. I'm sure I could have, you know, found it elsewhere, but I was like, yeah, this is probably a, a good way of, of, you know, finding these things that I'm looking for. Uh, and I also got back together with somebody who I worked with at Instacart, uh, Praveen Shakuri, who uh, was around at Instacart in the early days as well. Um, we co-founded Shelter together and Praveen is now, um, co-founder and co-CEO of Ascend as well. So we have a long, really good, you know, working relationship. Um, and again, relationship is so important in any industry, but as you know, it's good to have somebody who, you know, you know and trust and, and relate to. Um, but on starting an insurance, uh, we actually didn't intend to start an insurance. Um, you know, we didn't start a, a shelter and say, gosh, this is gonna be a great product for the insurance industry. Uh, Shelter, our first company, was a home services platform uh, that essentially helped homeowners prevent costly repairs by doing routine, proactive maintenance in their homes, uh, much like, you know, corporate or or commercial buildings are, you know, maintained on a schedule. We wanted to apply that same framework to homeowners um, and, yeah, prevent, prevent, you know, minor issues from becoming costly repairs. Uh, And so... When we started that, um, we were like, to, to my point earlier from Instacart, you know, we, we watched Instacart really change when Instacart went from being B2C to B2B2C, working through those retailers. And that was just the model we knew, right? So we're like, well, great. Who can our sort of uh, partner be that can get value, you know, drive additional value to their customers by using Shelter? Uh, and we tried you know, real estate agents, and they were like, you know what, once we've sold the house, we're out. Uh, and we tried uh, some commercial property managers, and you know, there's some success there. Um, but then we ended up sort of getting discovering, right, or, or you know, getting pulled in the direction of the insurance industry. Um, and we didn't know anything about insurance, you know, like, I, I genuinely at this point didn't know the difference between an agent, an MGA, and a carrier. To me, it was all just insurance companies, right? Um, we learned pretty quickly uh, how that all <laughs> works. But um, yeah. uh, we, we um, this was around the time that a lot of the 
homeowners and SureTechs were getting started. Um, and it was still when they were really early. And so people were unsure what that would mean for the, the broader industry. And we came to the, you know, they saw us as this, oh gosh, you know, shelter can help add value to our existing customers by helping them prevent the things that we're insuring, right? So it's good for them, it's good for us. Nobody likes a claim, right? The best claim is the one avoided. Um, and so, um, you know, they saw that as, as an opportunity to better engage their customers and provide an added service. And this is kind of when the homeowners world was shifting from let's sell a policy and try to disappear for a whole year uh, so people don't think about it and shop it to, mm -hmm. hey, we should actually engage with our customers and, you know, give them a little bit more so that they don't think of us as a necessary evil, but actually like interacting with their insurance company um, or agent, whoever that may be. And so we ended up partnering with a number of the sort of more traditional but higher end insurance carriers, as well as a bunch of the uh, insure techs. Um, including Hippo, Swift, folks like that, um, and ended up selling that business to Hippo Insurance pretty early on in the life of, of Shelter, um, because Hippo, you know, has a lot of has a lot of you know business to to figure out for sure. But from a mission perspective, it's always been very clear that Hippo wants to be more than just home insurance and help homeowners with the sort of journey of homeownership. So this mm. fit squarely into that thesis of theirs, of helping homeowners prevent these costly repairs, you know, get additional things. Everyone has their, you know, to-do list for the home, helping get that taken care of um, and just being more than an insurance company. Um, but it was there that we learned, it was at Shelter that we learned you know, how the dynamics of the insurance industry, specifically the homeowners industry. And then I would say at Hippo, where we learned um, and lots of hard lessons, right? And, you know, you don't, Hippo's a public company, you can look at that, uh, how the insurance industry works uh, from the inside once we were there. Mm -hmm. Is it, I guess, just qu quick question when you first started Shelter, is it fair to say you jumped out of the airplane without a parachute in a way when you started this company? Because it sounds like you, I, I had assumed that the business plan had been written in ink and you knew here's the specific service, here's the insurance industry, the, the puzzle pieces fit together and let's move forward. This is going to be a slam dunk and maybe even had a hippo in your sights. It sounds like that parachute may not have been attached to your backpack when you left the airplane. No, not at all. Um, not at all. I think, um, I think you, I don't know, like intentions are really good and research is really good, but you can never know what it's like until the rubber hits the road. Right. And I think Instacart taught us that and created that safety for us. Of like when Instacart was started, it wasn't like, we want to be a, you know, multi-sided marketplace for retailers and advertisers, which it is today. It was like, we want to deliver groceries, right? And you end up just sort of following and pulling the thread. And if you write a business plan in ink too firmly and you can't listen to, you know, the direction you're being pulled, you may miss it, right? And so we had an idea and we knew that, you know, the area that we were approaching had meaningful issues specifically for homeowners of, you know, how they are caring for their properties, but we didn't know how that would, how that would shake out. Interesting. Interesting. Well, in this, you know, just to put a bow on it, it feels like 
when I listen, when I think back to the way that you you talked about your days at the Peace Corps, your proximity to humanity, and you know your almost like connection to it is really important, so that you can sort of ebb and flow with where the business is moving. If you if if business is really just a collection of people whose skill sets all form together solve a problem that's relevant to you, then then there is no the, the 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 business plan written in ink is less important than what the humans are do, you know going through every day and and sort of how they're navigating the re- the rest of the you know re- the rest of society I guess you could say um, interesting that's so I really did think that there was more of a plan there so that's that's fascinating to hear no we got really lucky too so you know let's not discount the luck part as you, you talked about earlier fair 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 well and that I get that that's a good question though right I mean how much of it was, you know, how much of it was luck? I guess it depends how you define luck. Um, and, and how much of it is the, you know, you, you being able to, I think being able to see opportunity and jump on opportunity is a skill. It's not one that everyone has or wants to have, but you know, how much of it do you feel like when you look back really was luck versus I am so in tune with what's going on in my business and I'm so connected to it. I'm able to, to see those opportunities and take them when they present them themselves. Yeah. Um, it's a good question. I think, uh, the vast, vast majority is being in the right place at the right time. Um, it's almost like a surfer, right? So, uh, if your product is the surfboard, the team is the surfer and the market is the wave. The best surfer in the world can't, you know, they're not going to go that far on a tiny wave. Whereas conversely, a pretty bad surfer with an okay surfboard is probably going to be okay on a on a big wave. Uh, and I think the way we hit the market was on a big wave. And for that, you know, that's nothing to do with us. We can't control that. Um, and so that's how you know we think about it. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. I'm going to ask a tough question here. Um, so stick with okay. me. But I, I really do think people want to, um, you know, honestly understand and and um, and I'm curious about your answer. When you decided to sell shelter, like that's an interest that that was an interesting decision. And it sounds like there was a, there was sort of a, you know, this feels right. This 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 product sort of fits in with the portfolio that. Um, and the vision that Hippo has. Mm-hmm. But as an entrepreneur, the company that you created was your baby. You know, you poured your blood, sweat, and tears into this thing. Um, was, what you know, how much, what, why, why the exit, right? I mean, why not stick it, stick with it and say, you know what, this is, this is a company that I want to grow and expand. Was it you just didn't see that future with this particular problem, you know, that you were trying to solve and it was just a better fit for a bigger company. You know, you don't seem like the type of guy that was trying to cash out. So what was the incentive there? Yeah, I mean, it's a a really good question. And I I still remember those feelings and and discussions and thoughts we were having at that time. Um, Ultimately, we had to ask ourselves a hard question of, is the greatest likelihood of reaching 
and helping the most people as an independent company or as a part of this other company. And we believe that, you know, if everything worked out and the stars aligned and we worked really hard that like there would be, we may be able to reach more people with time. Um, but we were really unsure and that was a really uncertain endeavor or it's sort of bird in the hand. We could go out and be part of this bigger company and, you know, massively, massively increase our reach and the people we we're able to work with um, for, for certain. Uh, and really that was what drove the decision. It was sort of a calculation on, on what is the, what is the most likely way to reach the right number of people. That makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think back to, you know, agency zoom being acquired by Vertifor and having conversations with Mo mm -hmm. and it was very similar. I think he actually said to me, um, you know, Vertifor is doing something right. As much as we want to say they're the big Goliath in the industry and, uh, you know, it's they can be kind of frustrating sometimes with the speed of, at which they, you know, move technology forward. Um, you know, they've, they've got something dialed in. They've done something right. And, totally. and so, you know, he when he decided to, uh, you know, partner, it was that was sort of the, the thought process behind it. So interesting. Okay, so totally. Ascend. Yeah. Now you're back. Now you've sold your baby. Um, you're sort of, you're single, um, ready to mingle. Yeah. And you said, okay. And then was I this- actually sold a sold shelter the day before I got married. So I was <laughs> not single in one way, it's single in another. The day before, that was a stressful week, I'll tell you. Okay, okay. Well, now you've got your, your wife and your work wife uh, situation. So you figured out yeah. your, your work wife is Ascend. So what, why, why Ascend? Like, and you stayed in the insurance industry, which was interesting. What problem did you see there? So we stayed at Hippo for a year after we sold. Uh, and at this point, Hippo was an MGA that went direct, an MGA with captive agents, uh, produced by, you know, distributed through independent agents, and then they bought a carrier. So Hippo was actually a sort of perfect slice of all of the flavors of the insurance industry in one place. Um, and it was during that year that we really learned so much about not just our little sliver of the insurance industry, but how it worked um, more broadly. And we were just really, really like energized, I think is the right word, we being me and Praveen, um, about just the humanity of it, right? It is still such a person-to-person, -person, uh, relationship-driven business. And like, you know, deals get done on the phone, they get done in person. You know, it's a real, it's a real thing. And so we really like that. But we also saw firsthand just all of the frustrations, right, that still exist in the industry for the people who are in it. Um, and we wanted to help those people do what they a like doing and be are really good at doing, which is, again, the relationship, it's helping people protect the things they care about. And what we saw at Hippo was just, um, and this isn't a Hippo only thing, right? This is, I think, uh, industry wide, and I still believe this in a big way is, in fact, I believe it more than ever is people spend a lot of time on these things that are critical to the insurance industry, but they don't need to be their core competency, right? So whether that's a carrier who, you know, is spending all this time on customer experience, building apps, you know, interacting with the end insured, uh, the, 
the carriers should be spending their time getting really good at underwriting. Like they're already good at it. They should double down. Conversely, you know, agencies are spending all this time on back office stuff that they shouldn't be spending time on. They should be spending time finding and helping existing, you know, helping customers mm-hmm. uh, and help again, helping them protect the things they care about. Mm-hmm. And so we saw an opportunity to use technology to eliminate some of those extraneous things, right? And not have people do them in really frustrating, inefficient ways. Uh, And Ascend grew out of looking at that sort of problem area and thinking, you know, what's something that a bunch of people are doing that's taking a lot of time, that's inefficient and expensive, and frankly, nobody likes doing it, uh, but it's something that this whole other group of things that are willing to do called computers will do it for free and they won't complain, it'll be easy. Uh, and so um, that's where we came up with Ascend, which you know really aims to simplify the way insurance payments work. So um, Ascend, for context for folks on the call, um, automates insurance payments from end to end. We handle premium collection. That's on you know behalf of a carrier or an MGA and direct bill, or most commonly we partner with independent agencies. Uh, and you know in the case of independent agencies, we make their agency bill as easy as direct bill. You know, the insured pays, you know, we power power payment collection for that um, agency. The insured pays through a branded portal that looks like they're, you know, that agency. Ascend collects the payment, whether it's a monthly installment, a pay in full, premium finance, it doesn't matter. And then what we're able to do is just handle all those downstream next steps. So uh, netting the commission to the agency, updating the agency management system in lots of cases, and then actually funding the carrier. So now this thing that used to be really kind of like not fun, busy work in an agency, calling customers to get them to pay, opening and cashing checks, applying the checks, making a you know a record in the AMS to say this money has been paid, netting out the commission and moving it to a different account, sending a check to a wholesaler or a carrier, not that was someone's job and and you know typically it was an account manager who was spending tons of time not actually helping customers but instead doing this kind of work ascend is automating that for them so that they can actually spend time doing what they got into the industry to do which is to help people protect the things they care about mm. Mm. i remember um so Real quick, we had a webinar where we showcased the integration between Ascend and AMS 360, which is pretty slick. Uh, Andrew Ryan, who's a VP at Hertvik Insurance, is using both the technology and absolutely raved about it. So he did a webinar for us and, and got to show a number of AMS 360 users how it works. We do have the webinar recorded, so if you want to watch it, we have it. Um, but I remember uh, him saying on the webinar, it makes agency bill feel like direct bill. And that was such a jarring sentence. There were a lot of questions around that and and you heard it and you thought that's that's impossible. Um, And it reminded me of a conversation I had with an agency in North Carolina. This was probably two or three years ago. Um, And he said, you know, I, I really wish that we could have every payment B agency bill because he wanted to keep control of the process of the money of the experience it was that was his territory right as the agent he wanted to own that but he felt like his margin he couldn't support it 
it, he, you know, philosophically, he wanted to do it, but he couldn't support it. And it was just this, fr you could see how frustrated he was at dinner talking about, you know, I've got to, I've got to go direct bill because it's easier, it's faster, it gives a better experience to my customers. But as an owner of this business that, you know, is going to, is my livelihood, I want to create legacy with it, I want to pass it off to my kids, I want it to be a certain way, this is my mark on the world, I, I want to keep it agency bill. And um, and you've solved this really complex. This was three years ago. I remember talking to him about it. And then Andrew Ryan gets on and says, "Oh yeah, agency bill, bill feels like direct bill." Um, and it was just <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, um, it was just such a moment for me. Um, so it, kudos to you guys for tackling the challenge and also solving it so seamlessly. Um, that's that's not an easy not an easy feat. It kind of makes me wonder why it hasn't been solved before. Um, but, uh, well, it's definitely not easy and we work, we work really hard at it. Um, but you know, I think it's a real thing, right? Like in the history of the, of the world, of the insurance world, everything used to be agency build, right? Maybe mm -hmm. 50, 60 years ago before carriers were direct billing, but then carriers, uh, as a result of the consolidation and nature of their businesses, right. As, as agencies stayed independent uh, and carriers grew larger and larger, um, carriers weren't, I mean, agencies weren't able to invest in the same technologies that carriers were able to develop in-house and direct bill is a great example of that, right? Carriers were just said, look, we'll build this. Um, but that's a, that comes at a real cost to the agency, right? You lose one of the few and definitely really, uh, personal touch points that you have with your customers. Um, and so, you know, I think there's tons and tons of technology being built like this and there's a whole category right and vertifor does and knows this better than anyone which is like we want to enable these agencies with sort of best in class you know true enterprise software that they would never be able to build themselves right from a sort of cost of development standpoint but sort of our powers combined right build build that together and ascend is just that for payments and so we think that with time and we already see this with a bunch of i would say really innovative leading agencies like perfect but you know lots of others that that sentiment that 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 agency owner shared with you is not uncommon right a lot of people are like look we want to own we want to interact with our customers right it is an important touch point and frankly our customers get confused when we sell them a policy and then they go to you know xyzcarrier.com to pay this one and abcfinancecompany.com to pay this one and then which bill do they have to pay when uh, and they call you right and you might not even know because you're not in the loop and so it's just a bad experience and it's an expensive experience for everyone and so you know with ascend um and it's, look it's just maybe i'm you know ha has to be said but it's one of the reasons that like another reason that just your average person doesn't like dealing with their insurance. Mm -hmm. Paying for insurance is really hard, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. uh, it's not like buying something on Amazon. You're still, you know, we're still faxing checks in insurance. Like mm -hmm. this is it's 2023 now, right? Like let's uh, help meet our customers where they want to be. Um, and so that's why, you know, we, we started Ascend really to help those end customers, but moreover help these folks inside of agencies who want to help their customers certainly more than we do, right? You know, they, they, they're their relationships. They're often many generations um, and, you know, their customers' headaches become their headaches. So we, we really focus on helping those, those 
independent agencies um, better serve their customers. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I actually, I do work with an insurance agent and I'm not going to name the carrier, but I did actually have to elect not to have a mailed insurance policy and to go digital, uh, yeah. which was interesting and that it wasn't assumed in 2023, at, especially at my age. I don't know why I would want a mailed contract in the, but <laughs> anyways, so real quick, as we sort of wrap up here, I, I do want to give people a sense of the stability of Ascend, because I think with startups, um, there's an excitement from agencies around, okay, what's Andrew doing and, and what is Ascend and how does it work? And then there's this moment where they have to make a decision and they say, ooh, mm, it's a startup. I don't know. I don't know. You know, is he, is he going to sell it off? And then I'm already, I've got this thing in my business that now I've trained my people on. And, um, you know, I, I, we've adopted it. There's if we had to switch because maybe the technology isn't going to get the funding that it should because something went wrong. Now I've got to switch to another solution, which there is no other solution like a send out there. So good luck. But, um, but I, I do want to give people a sense of, you know, what, what's going on behind the scenes. Um, you guys started, started the company, uh, or got a seed round of 5.5 million September 15th, 2021. That was uh, from first round capital. Then less than a year later, on January 27th, you nailed a Series A of 30 million with a 250 million lending commitment by a new lead, which is not not always easy to find a new lead in, in startup um, index ventures. So you have you have 20 investors behind this thing. Um, man, you have your hands full personally, I'm sure, but the company is in an amazing spot. It seems like with the trajectory that it's had, the run rate, and, and just sort of where you're at in time with the funding that you have. Could you talk a little bit to where where Ascend is at and if this is a truly good investment for an agent to make bringing this technology into you know their, their agency? I mean, I, I totally hear you and, and um, on the nature of adopting new technology it's a big scary thing to do uh, especially when it comes to something as critical as getting paid right like that's mm -hmm. a hard boat to rock mm -hmm. and we wouldn't you know encourage folks to do it if we didn't really believe in the solution um and that said like the investment we've received the uh all these nice things are really just products of our customers who have started using it and talking about ascend and, and are really advocates for us um so you know to your question around stability we have a lot of cash in the bank um, and are super well-funded and, you know, will continue to be as the business evolves. Um, and we really started, you know, went to market last year uh, in early 2022. Uh, last year, we added about 600 agencies as customers, um, ranging from, you know, folks like Herdvik and, and, you know, smaller or medium-sized independent agencies all the way up through you know, a few folks in the top 100. So it's really, really good early validation. Um, Ascend has sort of consistently been growing uh, in terms of transaction volume, 30 plus percent month over month. Um, we've mm -hmm. been endorsed by folks like uh, the AC, uh, CIAB, um, a bunch of state associations, North Carolina as an example, Colorado as an example. Um, and so um, all of that is really just a product of the product and the work we're doing, um, not not you know a headline. It's it's not the other way around, I guess. Um, but that said, you know we would love to 
talk with folks who are at least even a little bit interested. And if it's not a fit, we'll tell you, right? We, we don't want to set you up for failure. Um, and we want to have customers who can really benefit from using Ascend. Um, and in terms of like cost of adoption and things like that, um, we don't actually charge, you know, the agency anything at all. It's free to use for an agency. Um, we make money based on the transactions. Uh, and we also sell software into, you know, other folks in the industry like MGAs or carriers who might use us for a direct bill. Um, and so that's where we make software fees. But for independent agencies, um, it's a it's a free to use product for you. Wonderful. Awesome. Free to use. That's hard to pass up. Um, Andrew, anything else you want to leave the audience with in terms of where you're headed uh, you know, with the product or just what's going on in the industry or Vertifor partnership? Is there anything that I missed uh, that, that you want to circle back on? I mean, we're really, really excited and grateful for our partnership with, with you all and our integration with AMS 360, which I think folks will be hearing about and learning about soon. Um, but if you have any other questions about the product, you know, my email is andrew at useascend.com. I'm always available. You can find me on LinkedIn or anything like that and would love to chat with folks um, and really just get your feedback, right? Like this product is not done. It's changing and evolving every single day. Uh, and really what we care about is making your lives easier as independent agents so that you can, again, focus on the things that you care about uh, and help your customers protect what matters. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate Thank you, you um, especially just being so um, so honest about you know your path and where you're headed. I appreciate it. Um, next time we talk, I will ask about the open the twelve mile open water swimming and uh, being fluent in Wolof. So uh, stay tuned. Okay. Thanks so much. That it was it was really fun. Nice weekend with you. If you haven't yet been to Austin, Texas between May 7th to the 10th, consider this your official invitation. Accelerate is the largest gathering of Vertifor users from around the country. And no matter if you're looking to be challenged by hearing the stories of successful owners who did things a bit differently, see cutting edge solutions thanks to the implosion of the InsureTech ecosystem, or learn how you can maximize your current Vertifor tech stack. Accelerate has it all. So go to accelerate.netview.org, put it in your phone, put it in your computer, wherever you are, accelerate.netview.org, grab your ticket and join us in the live music capital 